All right. Thank you all for tuning in. And my guest today, she's who I would consider the number one female sports opinionist in the world, Miss Joy Taylor. Thank you for joining me. Oh, today. thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. Um, this is not only good to have you, of course, but it's good to have you at this specific time because off the heels of what happened last night, I'm sure you're uh, pretty excited. I am very excited. Um, it was it was a very stress-filled watch, I will say. It was not the most enjoyable Game 7 that I have ever experienced, but um, considering the way that the entire series went, it, it definitely added to the tension, but I, I enjoyed the outcome very much, and I'm very excited for the finals. That was such like a, uh, a weird twist and turn that that series took right because the way it started was sort of like a obviously it was 3-0 and then the way that the Celtics kind of roared back you kind of got the impression that the tide was turning towards their direction and then the way it ended was like just the door got slammed shut on them I guess you could say proverbially but um I'm gonna ask you though because what do you think it is as far as like the heat when it comes to playoff time because this isn't the first time we've seen it like a couple years ago with the bubble even too um, you know, they weren't like a high seed and they kind of went on a little bit of a Cinderella run there. What do you think it is about them come playoff time that, uh, they just seem to turn up? Um, I think, I think it's a little bit of philosophy within the organization that, you know, you use the regular season to obviously position yourself for the postseason because you have to be in the postseason, but you know, you work through all those sort of issues and chemistry issues and lineup changes and all that stuff during the regular season they did a lot of this when lebron was there as well it was this kind of this feeling like oh like the regular season doesn't really matter which if your philosophy as an organization is to win championships then it kind of doesn't matter that much it really matters how you perform in the postseason now, we've been having an ongoing conversation on air about does it even if you win, are you the better team? Like sometimes the better team loses in the postseason. And my argument is that, well, it depends on how the postseason is structured. You know, if it's the Premier League and the, the winner of the regular season is the winner of the league, then yeah, the regular season matters because that's that's actually how the competition works. But we have decided that we will have a postseason for the NBA and seeding doesn't matter that much if you are a team that knows how to play in the postseason, which is really an additional and different season. <laughs> like your lineup changes, your bench gets smaller, your adjustments are different, you're playing the same team for a series as opposed to flying around the country. So the Heat just have players that understand how to win the postseason and Jimmy Butler, and they're extremely well coached. And I, it's, I gotta be honest, it's not really a Cinderella run. The Heat have been in the Eastern Conference Finals three of the last four years. They've been in the finals two of the last four years. It just seems Cinderella because of the seeding that they are. But this essentially core has been there two of the last four years in the finals and three of the last Eastern Conference Finals. So it's not really a Cinderella run. Right, it's sort of in their DNA, I guess you could say already. And like them having to go through the play-in, they're already kind of scratching and clawing their way in to begin with. So they kind of already are in that like fight or flight mode, I guess, as opposed to maybe a team that's been set in the one seed for quite a few while, I guess you could say. Yeah, um, they're cruising towards the end of the season. Yeah. 
So I want to ask, obviously, you grew up in Pittsburgh, but then you obviously went to school in Florida. How does a Pittsburgh girl end up in sunny Florida? Uh, well, I had spent some time in Florida with my brother being in Miami. So that was how I became familiar with Florida. I hadn't been there before um, before Jason went down there. So he sort of introduced me to the area. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm someone who always had the intention of, of traveling outside of where I grew up. I mean, I love Pittsburgh and, you know, was born and raised there. I still have a ton of family there and go back often and, you know, always root for the Steelers and always represent for Pittsburgh. But, you know, we don't have a basketball team. I did grow up playing basketball. We don't have a basketball team in Pittsburgh. So I was uh, always a team of a, a, or a fan of a team that wasn't from there, obviously. So I grew up as a Chicago Bulls fan and okay. grew up watching Michael Jordan and then, you know, became a fan of, of Dwayne Wade. And then obviously went to school in Miami and covered the heat at the beginning of my uh, career in Miami. So you were obviously playing basketball. That was kind of, I guess, where your um, inclination to want to cover and talk about sports came from. You were around it, so that's what led you to it. Well, I grew up playing sports. I grew up running track and playing basketball. Those are the two sports that I you know, started at the youngest age. And then I also played soccer and volleyball. I obviously grew up in Pittsburgh, so I grew up around people that just talked about sports all day long. Everyone watched the games, everyone had an opinion. And so I just, I grew up in a sports city. And so I just, my familiarity with sports and I guess passion and passion for conversation about sports was just something that I was always familiar with. So when people ask how I got into sports, I'm always like, I don't know, like probably the same way you got into sports. Like you watched your local teams and then people talked about them. Um, so yeah, but that's, I did play sports growing up. Did you ever in your line of view have any other fallback if, you know, talking about sports was never going to be a thing? Like, did you ever have anything else on your, in, on your uh, mind as far as career path goes? Oh, sure. I mean, I, I did not have a, you know, that, that I, there, there's no backup story. You know, I didn't. I did not come from money, so there was there was always a desire to be successful and to make money, but I, I was going to pay my bills regardless. <laughs> I right. guess. That wasn't an option. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I was I, I was uh, that confused early college kid. I mean, my first um, my first major was psychology because uh, I thought I wanted to work in an insane asylum. Don't ask, obviously. Obviously, that that desire passed through. Actually, my my I loved my first semester and my classes, but I went to one of my professors, my psychology professors, and asked them how long I would have to be in school if I wanted to have my own practice. And he said twelve years, and I said no, thank you. I will be switching majors. <laughs> and then I, you know, I switched to broadcasting. But I was I was running track in, in school when I was uh, when I was studying that. So I always had a, a foot, if you will, in sports. And then it just became clear like this is something I'm passionate about and can do for a living. And and I also never wanted to do solely sidelines or solely writing like i always wanted to be a personality mm -hmm. and at the time that i got into the business these type of shows didn't exist you didn't have podcasts you didn't have digital shows you know there wasn't an abundance of coverage of sports it was really just the mothership and your local sports so if you wanted to do opinion you really had to get into the radio side so that's why i started in radio oh wow yeah 
I'd say like back then too is a lot more because um, you obviously mentioned there's there's none of this back then. So like it, it was a lot more. Um, it was more niche, I guess you could say, of a um, sort of genre, not genre, but like, you know, you get the point. Yeah, it was there weren't as many opportunities to get into sports. And if, like I said, if you wanted to cover sports, you were likely a silent reporter or you were a local beat writer. There wasn't a ton of national coverage. Obviously, ESPN existed, but it was still like the sports center model. And it wasn't really until I got into, you know, my junior, senior year of college that the shows like First Take and Around the Horn and PTI and um, His and Hers really like exploded. And that's when the whole business, along with the news business, was really shifting to opinion. And that had a lot to do with people's access to highlights and access to games. So when Sunday Ticket came out and, you know, NBA package and you were able to actually watch games outside of your market and you were able to access highlights via YouTube or on your phone, it really changed the consumer's desire to re-watch highlights because they could access it themselves. So now what do we want? We want what the experts or what the pundits feel or think about what we watched. So that's really was the shift in the type of coverage that, that sports has. And, and now it's a whole massive industry and it's just going to continue to grow because sports and news are really the last things that we watch as a society live. Like if there's a massive news story, we're going to watch the news. If there's an election, we're going to watch the news. And sports, you have to watch live because you have to see it happen mm -hmm. while it's happening. You're not going to like re, I mean, I rewatch games just, you know, for, you know, extra analysis, but like, we're not going to rewatch a game once we already know the outcome most of the time. So everything else is streaming and on demand. So sports has really exploded as an industry and the coverage and, you know, desire for opinions has really exploded along with the platforms. Yeah, that's a good segue into this next point. I was going to ask, how much goes into like a day-to-day -day prep for you? Like, are you one of those people, like it comes natural to you where you want to talk about? Or do you kind of have to like meticulously break down with like, you know, whatever goes on in said sports game throughout the week? It's a mixture of both. Obviously, you watch, you know, the games, but there's there's a lot of preparation that goes into doing even a daily show so it's, you know sometimes throughout the week we might do the same story you know multiple times throughout the week but you want to find different angles on it obviously you're going to want to do research with your producer um or you know we have stats department that we can ask you know how many you know threes did this player average in the last you know series like they can provide that kind of information to help build uh, arguments or, you know, just help give us more information for what we'll say on the show. Um, so it's a little mixture of both. We do a lot of prep. We do a prep call. We do a prep meeting. We go over our notes. You know, we talk through a lot of times we'll change things in the pre-show meeting, something that we had planned on doing. And then throughout the conversation of us talking about, you know, what our thoughts are on a particular topic, we'll be like, you know what, maybe it would be better if we did this topic instead, because everyone seems really passionate about that. So there is a lot of prep that goes into the show. Um, because, you know, you want to make it entertaining, but you also want to make sure that you are bringing, you know, real facts and information to the viewer as well. Right. I think, like, from an outsider's perspective, anybody who's, like, never taken any type of television or broadcasting class throughout college, you automatically assume, oh, this is cool. You know, you can just sit around a table and talk sports. But there's, like, this um, – and you've obviously taken classes and you're a part of a broadcast now. <clears throat> it's, like, almost like a rundown type of thing. You've got, like – 
set amount of time that you have to talk about a subject and then you know you, you head to commercial right so you're like on the clock and you got to be like crisp like to a t with what you're talking about so it's not like cut and dry as cut and dry i should say as like sit around and just talk sports like there's a lot of like nuts and bolts to it i guess yeah so we call them beats in the biz in the biz we call them beats um and each show has different beats it has a different clock so for example uh the herd has much longer blocks so there's meaning there's more time in in between commercial to commercial to fill or to talk and because it's a radio style format it's not really as as structured or the ball isn't passed as much as say speak where there are four people on a panel and our blocks are shorter in time meaning commercial to commercial we may have a 10 minute block as opposed to the herd that might have a 25 minute block but i liken it to giving a giving a class presentation but everyone can watch that's right. kind of that's kind of what it's like like you wouldn't just walk up even if you knew the subject you wouldn't just walk up in front of your college professor and give your your oral presentation without preparing if you did even if you knew a lot about the subject you would probably fail because you didn't have any structure to your speech you didn't have any information to back up what you're saying you wouldn't really be flowing as you're as you're speaking you wouldn't know the next thing that you're leading into so if you think of it that way that's kind of what doing a television show is like it's a little more involved there's a little more things you have to go to and you got to do this read and you've got to hit the break on time and all those things but it's it's very similar to preparing for an oral exam only every day and any amount of number of people can tune in and watch and it's live and it's gonna be recorded so they're always gonna remember if you didn't do a good job so that but that's kind of what it's like Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing kind of more women such as yourself breaking into the industry and maybe a time in which back then it was less popular for women to kind of be talking about sports. Did When you made your first um, introductory into coming into this line of work, did you find that you had any pushback or were they accepting of you when initially coming in? Oh, yeah. I mean, there was certainly people that didn't think that I was capable or that people would really want to hear what I had to say or people that would take me seriously or even wanted to give me the opportunity. And you'll, you know, I've still faced that throughout every, you know, step of my career. So there's not, that's not going to just all of a sudden go away. It's certainly gotten better. We, you are seeing much more of a, a, a woman's presence in sports and sports coverage. And I, I don't want to get too optimistic, but I do think that we have slowly ticked to in society the idea that women are actually sports fans. And uh, the way that I always ask people is like, when you watch a game on television, like you're sitting in front of your television, you're watching a baseball game, or you're watching a hockey game, you're watching an NBA game, or you're watching an NFL game, look at the crowd. It's not all men. Right. In fact, you'll find it's like 50 50 men and women because that's also like what the world looks like so it's it's always strange to me like you go to a game you see women there you see passionate women fans you see you talk to women in sports bars like they're everywhere watching and enjoying the same sport you are why is it so weird that we would also then want to talk about it so yeah yeah so once like i i kind of always present it like that just to kind of start get the you know get the wheels turning of like oh yeah actually every time i now when i look i see women like yeah they were always there 
it's, it's, it's very much for everyone. Um, I mean, half the NFL's fan base is is women. So I do think that we're getting we're getting more of that, we're getting more opportunities, obviously, outside of just the traditional roles that were sort of reserved for women. Um, we have a long way to go, I think, particularly in the opinion space. But um, I am encouraged by the the, the amount of, of women that I'm seeing in the business now. Mm -hmm. What is something about you that maybe people wouldn't know about you? Or that would, that would surprise them, I should say. Um, I don't know. I'm pretty, like, pretty open. I, I'm a very private person, actually, for being a public figure. I, I definitely like to protect my peace and, like, when I'm not working, like, just enjoy my, my friends and, like, enjoy my time. I've had to find, I think, as everybody does, a balance, particularly with social media, to like know when to when to shut it down and just enjoy your life um, with you know the idea that everything is always looming. So maybe that. I mean, I don't know. I've been in the public, I've been a public in the public space for about fifteen years now. So yeah, um, I don't know how many more surprises <laughs> I have. <laughs> yeah, that that's a popular talking point I talk about with a lot of my guests that are on TV. I kind of ask them how they um, handle the mental aspect of like what comes with being in front of the public eye with social media. Do you ever hear any? I mean, you just said you like to kind of, you know, tune out of it once you're out of it type of thing. Like you do what you do and then just go back to your life. Um, do you ever hear the noise, like, either good or bad or like? Um. No, I, well, look, it's, it's inauthentic to say that nobody sees what's said about them. Like, that's just not true unless you totally don't use social media. Like, you're going to see it. But I, I don't know. I think I came into it at a, a different perspective in time because social media started when I was in college. Like, Facebook yeah. exists, like, came into existence this my freshman year of college. So I grew up in a time before the internet before everyone had cell phones, before social media was like an actual active part of our lives. And so I've had a very, just because of my particular age group, I've had a, a very unique experience with social media, with the internet, with cell phones, with all of this. So when I started in radio, we used to have, I don't know if they still use this uh, as much. They probably use it more with the social media aspect, but we had a, you know, you could text into the station. But it was basically like Twitter. Like, it was just random text. You didn't see who it was coming from. If they signed their name, you knew their name. But it was a lot, like, it was like 90% nonsense. Just, like, terrible things, awful stuff you couldn't even read on air. And we would always be pushed to, like, implement it because it was usually sponsored. So we would just pass it to the producers, like, pick one thing we can read on air from, you know, this... Yeah this wormhole of disaster and but you could still read it you know so i think i got very desensitized early in my career to just that extreme negative feedback that was before twitter really devolved into the you know just black hole that it is now um so i had a little bit of a uh bu buffer to that kind of extreme like visceral feedback early in my career and then twitter obviously has just you know slowly escalated more and more the more anonymity that people have and the more people that use it and you know we all know like what people say on the internet is awful for the most part yeah. but i and i used to really clap back at people and it was kind of a sport for me 
I don't ever get too high or low on feedback from the internet. Right. So if, if I wouldn't ask for your advice, I don't care about your criticism. And that's just, that's just genuinely who I am. Like, I just, I can't care. That's like, even for people who I know personally, you're like giving me like feedback. I'm like, I don't, I didn't ask you for this and you don't know what you're talking about. Like respectfully, like, cool. Like, thank you for sharing, but I don't tell you how to go, be a doctor. Like, I don't tell you how to, you know, do whatever you do in your life and your business respectfully. I, I got it. So it's the same way with the internet. People are all going to have an opinion and they're entitled to it, but I think it's up to you to compartmentalize and to understand that we are not meant to get this much feedback as humans. We're just not, we know way too much about each other. Like all of us know way too much about each other. We feel way too comfortable sharing opinions about each other, with each other, around each other. It's just not normal. And I don't know that all of us have gotten to a place where we can step back and say, okay, this is good feedback and this is awful feedback. And I'm going to treat both of these levels of feedback the same. So that's just how I've navigated it. You know, 10,000 people can tell me that I'm right. It doesn't change my mood any more than 10,000 people telling me that I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. um, everyone has a different way that they handle social media, but that's what's worked for me over the years. And I think just also understanding that if people are telling you terrible things on the internet, they would not say this to you in person. So they don't like really mean it. You know, yeah. that's how I look at it. Like if you wouldn't walk up to me to my face in the flesh and say this insane thing you just said to me on the internet, why am I taking you seriously? It's just kind of weird. I think like a lot of it too, like a large percentage of that hate and not just like with sports media too it just comes in like other forms of like television too it's like the fans are like the viewers of a product become like very protective over like their opinion so if like your opinion doesn't coincide with like theirs but because yours opinions on tv like they get mad about it type of thing right yeah and i mean i think i think that's also okay like sometimes sometimes it's okay for people to not like what you said. Right. Like, I'm not supposed, everyone's not supposed to like what I said. I'm going to go do a show. Celtics fans are not going to like what I have to say. That's okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, if you're giving your opinion, most people are going to disagree with your opinion or you're probably not being that opinionated. So there's also, it also just depends on like what your space is. You know, I, in my line of work i understand there are people who are going to disagree with me that doesn't mean that they hate me that doesn't mean that they want me to die it doesn't mean that you know their feedback should change my opinion of myself in any way if i say something negative about the chicago bears i expect chicago bears fans to disagree with me right yeah. unless they're just you know it's, it's something is so obvious but like they're even if it is they'll still probably be mad or you know the lions or the eagles or whoever it is you know it just you're giving your opinion. So there's a, there's also a difference between fans disagreeing with your opinion and sharing their opinion and someone just being, you know, an awful human that's just saying things that, you know, should never be said by anyone. So I, it is a lot to navigate, but I think, like I said, everybody has to find their own way that makes them feel comfortable with social media. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, for me, I think from from seeing you on your time on Speak, now I feel like you're able to show kind of really what most people knew you had, like as like a sports mind, because, you know, obviously you had your moments right on like the herd and with your time with Skip and Shannon. But now I feel like there's almost like an elevated platform for you in a way now being like a fellow co-host with um, obviously Shady and Emmanuel and uh, David. Um, was any part of that with making that shift into speak to be able to feel like you had more to say sort of thing? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it was, it was definitely a, a promotion of, of, of airtime and space, you know, obviously I loved my time on Undisputed and my time with Colin was incredible. It was a, two massive platforms, but the roles were different on each show. You know, I was a moderator on Undisputed, a co-host on Herd, and now I am, you know, a full-time host with the same space on everyone else as everyone else on the show. So that was an inevitable evolution of, of just me being able to, you know, have more space on the show again, how the show is designed and the beats and all that um, has allowed me to be into that space. So um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been great. I mean, for those people who have, you know, followed my career from Miami and uh, listened to the podcast when I had, when I had my podcast, I think, you know, those people gratefully um, knew that, that, that I had that in me. So it was just a matter of being able to, you know, eventually grow into a space that allowed me to have that, that bandwidth which, you know, as you grow in the business and as you take different steps, I think you learn different things on the way. I've, I became a better talent at each stop that I had. And, you know, the more experience and the more reps that you get, the better you are. So it's been, it's been really fun to be able to step into that space. Do you have any advice for your younger self? Um, yeah, I, I get asked this question sometimes. I give like a different answer every time. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I would say like, you know, don't trust everybody and, you know, enjoy the process. Um, I think also, not just for my younger self, but for all you know people who are in the business, it's, it's important to remember that things do not happen overnight. Like that's, that shouldn't be the plan. It shouldn't be the plan to like come out to Hollywood and just get discovered. You know, it's, things happen when they're supposed to happen for a reason. You've got to be ready when that opportunity is presented to you. We all ha should have, you know, an elevated sense of self, particularly if you're in this business because you're putting yourself out there and, you know, it's, it is show business, you know, so there is a little bit of this, you know, I don't want to call it arrogance, but like a lot of, you know, trust in yourself that you're, you're saying something people want to listen to and you're sharing your thoughts and like, that's, an, that's a vulnerable thing to do. So being told no can feel like the end of the world, but you know, a lot of people who have moved on through their career give the same feedback to younger people because it's true. And like, maybe, you know, I, I hope it's, it's a good thing to understand it sooner that just being told no or not getting an opportunity or not getting the opportunity when you particularly wanted it to understand when you're not being valued and when you're uh, being taken advantage of or the, the space that you're in is not the right space for you. And to understand when, okay, I still have more work to do to get better and to be able to grow into this role. And that's a balance that you find, I think, in any job whatsoever, in any business that you're in, not particularly just um, the media business or sports media business. And, you know, it, it, I can look back on times that I was extremely frustrated and 
I'm grateful that I had people around me telling me to be patient and telling me to, you know, refocus my energy and keep pouring into myself rather than, you know, panicking and, you know, making a decision that would have taken me in a completely different direction. When you say about not trusting um, people so easily, were you, did you ever feel like by anybody in that process, were you being led astray at all when it came to getting into the industry? No, I think it's just more about, you know, trust yourself. Like, don't listen to it, it, what makes everyone special is that everyone is special, right? Like if everyone's special, no one's special. Sure. But you're only going to be the best version of yourself. You mm. can't be better than Skip Bayless at being Skip Bayless. Right. Nobody's better. No one's better. No one's better than Shannon at being Shannon. No one's better at me than being me. No one's better at Colin than being Colin. So trying to be someone that already exists is not going to help you because you're not going to be as good as them. So why not be the best version of yourself? So when I say that, I mean, trust yourself, like what makes you special, what you have, your upbringing, your experiences, your point of view, your style, that's going to be the thing that makes people want you, not the fact that you remind them of somebody else. And that's not to say don't study what successful people do. I very much believe in that. I, I love to study what super successful people do, their habits, what got them there, what kind of mentality do they have that keeps them continuing to grow in their success. That is something that you should duplicate and study, but not who they are. You are special. What you bring to the table is unique your voice, your perspective. So don't shrink yourself because somebody's like, huh, you know, I don't know that I really like this. So many people have tried to change fundamental things about me. And thank God I am as arrogant as I am, <laughs> as defiant as I am, because I, I it, it was just, it was not smart. It was just stupid. There were stupid things. And it would have, it would have really derailed my career. It was not good advice. So don't trust that just because someone is in a higher position or just whatever, like if they're trying to change you, they're not giving you good advice. If they're trying to change your habits, if they're trying to change how you prep for show, if they're trying to give you advice on like, hey, you know, when you come on air, make sure that you nail your first thought and then go into like things like that. Sure. But who you are, don't you should not change that. Well, with that speech, you might want to start uh, accepting applications to uh, pregame locker room talks before. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> well, uh, in closing here, I'd be remiss to not ask, since I'm from the area, of course. Um, should Jets fans temper their expectations coming into the year, or have a healthy amount of optimism? Where do you think the line between the two is? I think Jets fans should be unhinged. I think they should be happy and excited and thrilled and ride the wave of excitement 100%. That's what Jets fans should do. Leave all the skepticism and the speculating to everyone else. Fans should enjoy these moments. I get the fear, trust me. I have watched the Dolphins for most of my life. I have had many years of disappointments. But be excited when something exciting is happening if you're a fan. It could go great. You know, it could be amazing. It could be a disaster too. But I don't think it will be a disaster. I don't know if it will be as good as everyone is thinking it will be. But if you're a fan, I mean, why are you gonna why are you gonna squander the opportunity to be excited about having Aaron Rodgers? Like, that's cool as hell. And you landed the whale. Like, it actually happens. So that alone is exciting. 
I know. You see the Taylor Swift concert the other day. He was there, too. So yeah, you're bleeding in. In the air. It's in the air here in the Meadowlands. What could I say? <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to come chat with me today. I look forward to seeing what you have to say on the air today about the game last night. And uh, for everybody watching this, be sure to go check her out at uh, 4.30 Eastern time on Speak on FS1. Joy, thank you again so much for your time. No, thank you for having me. For sure. Have a great day. Thanks.